But uh, this is our last session of the uh, course that we've been studying here for about eight weeks, I believe, on biblical perspective on cultural engagement. We have been tackling the most controversial issues out there. Um, and every week it seems like these issues are intensifying. For those who were not here a couple of weeks ago, we um, brought up the analogy of the fairy tale, the emperor has no clothes or the emperor's new clothes. And the parallels that you see in that story with what's going on uh, in institutions around the country in which people are refusing to admit the plain truth that's out there um, because they don't want to be seen as ignorant or incompetent in their jobs, which is what the problem was with all the king's people who would not tell him that he was wearing no clothes. And so, in fact, it's interesting. I didn't hear this, but Carolyn heard it a couple of times this week on some of the talk shows that some of these national pundits are using that same analogy. So you heard it here first, where we are trying to stay on the cutting edge of societal evolution. But we have a lot to cover today. Uh, in just uh, a little while, we will watch the second part of this presentation um, from John Harris comparing social justice to Christian justice. But let's open our time this morning with prayer. I hope you all got a handout. There were two of them, so make sure you got two. And on the one at the bottom are the lyrics to our hymn, which I'll ask Jenny to play for us now. My hope is built on nothing less. Well, for the last uh, few Sundays, I've been opening with um, the Emperor Has No Clothes report of the week, and so uh, I'll continue that today uh, just for the purpose of uh, illustrating that what we're talking about here, I mean, these battles are raging now, and they're intensifying. Um, and there were many to choose from. Um, I even received a text from Keith with uh, one item here. I don't remember where you saw that, but something relating to the New York City library system um, having a collection of books targeting young children to expose them to homosexual themes, transgender themes, and so on. Uh, one that I saw just, well, I saw it this past week, but it, it just happened on May 22nd, close to home. Wake County, North Carolina, the state's largest school system. Um, on Friday, May 22nd, flashcards featuring LGBT themes were confiscated from a preschool classroom in North Carolina's largest school district of Wake County. A preschool classroom. 
The cards were allegedly used to teach preschoolers their colors at Ballantyne Elementary in Fuquay Varina. The cards featured gay and lesbian couples with children, as well as a card depicting a pregnant man, which is what started all of this, the emperor has no clothes. The question we addressed a few weeks ago is, can men get pregnant? So feel free to look that up sometime if you would like to get more information about that. Another issue that I saw this week, and this is a du direct result of critical race theory and in influence and the infusion we're seeing of that in, in all of our major institutions, um, is called Two Chicago High Schools Just Implemented a Race-Based Grading System. Now, this, author, this article is written by a man who is black, and who is just incensed at the degrading nature of what he's seeing happen here. Um, two high schools, it gives their names, says administrators for both schools will require teachers to adjust their grading scales for the skin color and ethnicity of students. The plan is called Transformative Education Professional Development and Grading. They discussed the plan, board members discussed the plan on May 26th, and here's the author's description. Basically, in layman's terms, this plan was created to equalize test scores among racial groups as well as take away things they feel hurt the majority of black students that attend these schools. They can no longer be docked for missing class, misbehaving in school, or failing to turn in their assignments. And he references uh, an Associated Press report back in March, which reported that numerous school districts across the U.S. are experimenting with this grading scale and are looking for strategies to keep missed assignments for bringing down grades. Another one I saw this week was about uh, charter school in Alabama that was established to be a safe place where LGBTQ students and transgender students are celebrated. And I won't go through all of this, but it was, I mean, I guess I technically don't have a problem with a charter school if they want to have a private school that caters to that. But what was really sad in reading through this is what is being encouraged in this. And I'll read a portion of this because it sort of describes things that are not just happening at this particular school, but with this whole concept. I'm talking about a student named Tyler. Tyler arrived at the Birmingham Botanical Gardens expecting to take pictures with his fellow high school seniors before their first prom. The garden was filled with young people from high schools all over Birmingham metro area who already claimed, claimed flower patches and vined archways as backdrops. Tyler wore a tuxedo with a pink waistcoat to match his date's dress, along with roses pinned throughout. His trip to rent a tuxedo was a near success 
until it came time to pay. He handed the cashier his license, and she began to look at him curiously, soon calling him ma'am and by his former name, because he was transgender. And it goes on talking about a few of the transgender seniors no longer felt safe wearing a dress in front of so many people. They would instead meet him later at the school cafeteria. Tyler knew his friend's safety was more important than a good picture, and he would still get to see their outfits and makeup, <coughs> which included fairy wings, elf ears, newly dyed purple hair, and paper mache mushroom costume all crafted weeks in advance to fit the unofficial enchanted forest theme. And reading the rest of that and just thinking about the environment that is being encouraged. And then I think about the generations of high school students who probably even before many of them graduated from high school joined the army to fight World War II in Vietnam and even after 9-11. Uh, and compare that type of mentality to this. And that's that's what's going on around us. Yes. Um, just to touch base back on the you know, Chicago race grading. So that was a widely taken fault score. Um, school administrators and stuff are receiving death threats, even though there have been several statements saying that that is not actually true. And um, the attraction for that story was based off of equitable grading, which is based off of economic income. Say a student has a single parent working two jobs, the student would not be penalized for, say, turning in late homework because they don't have something at home. So that story is pretty revolt. Uh, well, I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to mention it. From the time that I first saw that story until I printed it out yesterday, which we're talking about a week, um, I saw all the claims of false stories. But if you look at that and compare it to the article that I just read from, they claimed that it didn't happen. But what they didn't claim was that it was considered. Um, and. And I don't disagree with what you just said, except that's kind of a general way to describe the majority of people involved whom this author, who's black himself, was talking about. And so the other kind of, for those who try to keep up politically, Another big controversy out there concerns fact-checking. <laughs> and the problem is that fact-checkers need to be fact-checked because of what I just said in this one example. They claim the story is false because it wasn't implemented, but what they didn't say was that it was discussed. And that's the whole point of all this, is to show that these are the kinds of things that are out there 
if they're not being implemented, as so many of them are, they are at least being considered. And so what is our response to all that? Now, um, on, on the first page of the handout, I've, I've listed a number of verses there that we've considered over the course of, of this study, but I want to focus on one, the, the one there uh, from Psalm 91. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him I will trust. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. Um, As we have looked at all these issues, we've sort of been doing it... um, from the perspective of epistemology, which is the study of knowledge, but specifically the study of truth. And is there anyone here who knows what the name of the study of truth is? We have someone, we have someone here whose name is very close to it. Alethiology. You have a very special name. <clears throat> but the study of truth, that's, that's what all of these issues sort of boil down to is, what is truth and what are we going to do with it? Um, and I wanted to just kind of point out this last phrase, his truth shall be your shield and buckler. What's the difference between a shield and a buckler? And I think we all know what a shield is. But what's a buckler? Okay. Yeah, and so when would you use a shield and when would you use a buckler? Very good, very good. Now I was going to ask some of the infantry guys here to talk about that. I went to infantry school many, many years ago, but we didn't learn sword fighting then, but uh, uh, went that long ago. But the shield, and kind of taking that fighting analogy to the study and use of truth, particularly biblical truth, the shield is like what we're doing now. You described a phalanx. I mean, you don't see that in fighting anymore. You see it a lot of times when police lines form and they're holding the shields. It's like a group and they're holding the big shields. You know, in, in, in wartime it was so they would be a, in a large group and protect them from the arrows, but it was a group sort of thing. And so what we're doing now as we come together to worship and to sit under the preaching and teaching of the Word, that's sort of like using the shield. But the buckler is when we're fighting as individuals, which is the key thing. Because, I mean, for most of our daily lives, that's where we are. We're fighting individually. So just for a couple of minutes here, let's think about this analogy of a buckler fighting individually and how we would incorporate biblical truth 
in th these issues, but everything that we really face going on. Um, so, you know, if we're going one-on-one -on -one with the enemy, how does God's truth protect us from the enemy's lies and his attempts to hurt or destroy us? Can you think of ways? In our company group, that we were talking about the difference between um, Adam yes, yes. facing the temptation or from Satan as opposed to um, Jesus facing the temptation in the desert. And Adam had helped me. Of course, she wasn't very helpful, <laughs> um, <laughs> unfortunately. But it was technically two against one. I mean, they were together, but Jesus was alone. He was completely by himself. And yet, what did he do over and over? He just said his father's word over and over. To mm -hmm. Said scripture. Yeah. So I mean, scripture is literally our armor. If the enemy attacks us with the temptation to lie or steal, what is our defense? Well, we say to ourselves, God sees whatever I do, you see this in my heart, and if it's stealing or in our line with reason, God has nothing to do with it. His word specifically tells us not to do that. If we are attacked by discouragement or despair, First Corinthians one three, in addition to that, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. If And that is very valuable, and it's another sort of overarching protection that God's Word gives us. But what I'm trying to focus on here is we are holding a buckler because we are on our own, and we're fighting specific things. Um, if the enemy attacks with the temptation to lust or look at something we shouldn't, what is our defense? Think of the verses. Job 31.1, I've made a covenant with my eyes. Isaiah 33.15, shut our eyes from looking at evil. These are specific responses that the Word gives us to specific things that we have to deal with. 
Has anyone ever been tempted to say something mean to someone? Maybe to a brother or sister? What does the Bible tell us about the tongue? James 3, talking about the power of the tongue and, and how we have to tame it. And it's a really interesting thing that just in the last few days, sort of, I made this connection. Uh, who is James? Say that louder. So, Jesus was James's older brother. And James is talking about how things that are said can be hurtful and hateful. Makes you wonder, did he ever say things like that to Jesus? Which he little likely did because of the circumstances of his eventual conversion. So th- those are just specific examples of this, this one aspect. You know, the shield is overall protection, including what you said. But as we face these individual things, and, you know, we're going to. We're going to be facing a lot of these issues that we've been talking about as individuals. We're going to have pressures um, and temptations and things that come up. Um, As well as the scripture to combat the temptations, whether it's to be ugly to somebody or to fall into sin or even just to um, take our eyes off of Jesus and the goal. When a scripture can't come to mind, we don't all have it all right there, but sometimes it pops up right there, praise the Lord. But I've also found it very helpful just to say, Jesus, help me. And I say that a lot. And sometimes I can't even say, Jesus, help me. Sometimes I just call out Jesus' name. And that helps me. And that gets gets me back. Amen. You know. Okay. Well, what we're going to do here for the rest of the time is to watch the the second part of this uh, on the back page of your handout. Um, the speaker here is John Harris. Uh, he has a podcast, which I highly recommend, called Conversations That Matter. And one point, uh, I don't think I wrote it down on here. If you're interested, I'd hope to use it in this class, but it, timing just didn't work out. On his March 23rd podcast, he gave... He was speaking somewhere and gave a really good presentation on how parents can help children to understand these things and to prevent them from embracing wokeness. So I would would encourage that. But I've given you some basic notes, and we'll pick this up. It's probably going to take us right up to the end. those who were not here last time, in which he gave more of the historical background of uh, how these concepts developed. Um, 
the part that we missed was sort of a side-by-side -side comparison of social justice as a religion compared to Christianity. And I'm seeing more and more analysts and people who are addressing this recognizing it as a religion. Um, so on one hand, I'm sorry we, we missed that part, but it does give us a few minutes here to have any comments or discussion if you heard something that you want to address. I, I think I know this is social justice is really a Christian theory as it says there needs to be a scapegoat. Someone has to suffer for sin or the evil they see in the world. Because the thing is, they don't take evil far enough. They say, oh, it's only straight white men or straight men in general, hypothetically. When really, if we want to know what's wrong with the world, it's ourselves. I mean, what Christians here would just think of how much times each of us is going to sin today. And that evil is horrendous and needs to be dealt with. But it doesn't, it just doesn't apply to a group of people, but everyone is damned. And under God's standard, everyone will be if they don't repent. So I, it really needs to remind us there is a scapegoat. Jesus, who took our sins upon himself and went out into the wilderness. Yeah. One of the issues I'd hope to address, and again, there's so much that needs to be discussed and, you know, the format of our class and time frame just didn't allow it, but the issue of reparations, another controversial issue. And he didn't say the word reparations, but when he was talking about comparing biblical justice to social justice, remember the term he used regarding biblical justice? Retributive? In other words... You do something wrong, you are responsible for that and subject to being punished for it uh, compared to the social justice concept. Remember what that was? Redistributive. That is a major um, tenet of critical race theory and, and all of these uh, things that are out here is, is redistributive. What you just described is not reparations. That, that's, that's something that we ought to do as Christians, is to help people who are poor. Denise is one of the leaders in the so-called reparations movement, and they're described as being this. Go talk to them. That's what they have to say. Maybe we need to find a place to have 
a lesson on this because the concept that what you described is not the general, it may not apply to your niece, but to the people who promote it, the critical race proponents, reparations is very specific. Well, I'd be interested to, you know, hear or see if she's written something, but I... Can I comment on, on that? I think Tom brings up something that really bothered me, too, in this video. That I think I think Harris has the... He has the shield on, right? Mm -hmm. But he's overlooking the day-to-day -day buckler struggle. For example, he seems to be saying, no immigrant should be allowed in this country who hasn't embraced the values of our country. Well... Some people are fleeing for their very lives, and they are terrified. They don't know really anything about the anything intellectual about our country. They don't know our our language. But you can't just say because you haven't you know studied the Constitution and embraced what we what we've decided are our values that you can't come into our country. And I can I can cite six six specific things that he said that that I think ignore the reality. The gospel reality, if you want, of extenuating circumstances. There are times when you have to be merciful and you have to consider something in all its complexity and not just say, well, you did this, you get that. You know? That's not how our court system has been. Yeah, you know, I understand what you're saying, but I think what he was addressing was being a citizen of the United States, not being here as a legal alien but becoming a citizen. And one of the most moving things, I think this ought to be required for students before they graduate, is to attend a citizenship ceremony. A naturalization. I think you've attended them. Um, it, it's remarkable. I mean, I wish that before kids could graduate from high school, they would have to pass the test that the naturalization... And I think that's what he's talking about. But I know, and, and he's kind of on the edge on some of these issues. So I, I know. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Well, I mean, just as a, as a criticism of the video, and I understand he's just giving a presentation. Right. You know, where, but he, you know, he, he says, you know, what gives people the right to tell other people X just because they survived a school shooting, which is, you know, that everybody's, you know, Well, <laughs> the counterpoint to that is, what gives anybody else the right to say that they should be able to right. have do X, Y, and Z as well? You know, shouldn't or should. Right. There's a counterpoint to that. Yeah. I don't know that we ought to agree with everything you said, but one thing it served to do is it is causing us to think. And that's, that's the whole purpose of this course, is to lay these issues on the table and make us think about it. And, and, and to look at it from whatever scriptural truth applies to that issue. And you're right. I mean, I, I kind of cringe a little bit. And this obviously was, was given before the shooting. But, you know, whatever, I think going back to your opening statements, uh, you have to think about the motivations of whatever the person is that is saying something, you know, reading something or writing something. What are their motivations? And then it, don't you should not be shallow in saying, oh, that's correct. You should get the fact check, right? Yeah. Just like you yeah. said, you have to go to alternate sources.
Yeah, and back to the controversy, you know, about the, the school system in, in, in Chicago. To me, the issue was not whether or not that has been implemented. The issue is that leadership in those institutions are considering those things. And probably in that case, the reason it wasn't done was because it came to light and, you know, they just backed off. I don't know. But the point is, is that, you know, in these institutions, all these issues are coming in. You know, the principal in that school in Wake County, when he was alerted to, and it was because someone told the house speaker of it, and then that, you know, and the, and the principal immediately, you know, took some action. But the point is, is that there was a teacher there who wanted to do that and had no guidance saying, you cannot do that. And same thing, you know, with the schools. You know, that, that, that concept was seriously considered. I mean, that's the whole point of understanding what's going on. Oh yeah. Oh, it's remarkable, and and he's written a new book, by the way, that was just published last week. I was hoping to be able to get that to incorporate that somehow. Yeah. Oh, it's a wonderful example. Um, and, and the last point that he mentioned in this video, which I think really is something to consider when he talked about the stability offered by Christianity. I don't know if you picked up on that, but what, what do you think he meant by that concept? The stability. What is the stability that we have as Christians? Say it louder. solid rock on which we can stand. Um, it is through, I mean, so, much, so many of these issues, particularly in transgenderism, is a crisis of not knowing your identity, who you are, you know, what's your purpose, and so on. Christianity gives us that. It gives us, it, it tells us who we are, whose we are, what our purpose is. Um, and, and you know, maybe sometimes we take that for granted, but there's so many out there who do not have it. And so, well, anyhow, I hope, uh, I hope these weeks have been helpful to you. I know we've stirred the pot a lot, uh, addressing a lot of controversial things, but that's where we are. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful to you that you are truth. You are ultimate truth and complete truth. And we pray that you would help us in our individual lives as we uh, deal with these specific things, all these issues, that you would remind us of that and lead us to the places in your word that will help us and encourage us and, and give us the firm foundation that we need. We pray now that you would be with us as we go into worship, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.